As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Two Stars, a podcast all about Nottingham Forest brought to you by The Athletic. Every week we'll bring you news, reviews, previews and unrivaled insight on everything pertaining to the world's greatest football team. In this first episode, we'll assess Chris Hutton's first games in charge, hear from The Athletic's senior football writer Daniel Taylor on the state of play off the pitch Trent side. Oh, and there's a small matter of a game against Derby to look ahead to. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free via the Athletic app. This is Two Stars. Well, hello there. Thank you so much for lending us your ears as we find our feet. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. You might know me from the Totally Football Show and the Totally Football League Show. You might not know that I'm a lifelong Forest supporter. You do now. Uh, Someone else who fits into that category is the Athletic's own Nick Miller. Hi, Nick. Are you excited? Very excited. I am as excited as... Uh, Jamal Abdoon when he scored that Panenka penalty the other the other season. <laughs> In- nice. Incidentally, I I do quite enjoy the idea that anyone who might know you from the Totally Football League show won't think won't already know that you're a Forest fan. I know. As I wrote that, I thought that's nonsense, isn't it? But but anyway, um, yeah. For no particular reason other than that, I was thinking about Brian Rice yesterday. Can you give me some other former Forest players named after foodstuffs? Uh, well, yeah, I think we we have the ultimate Nottingham. Um, Footballer named after food stuff. Billy Cobb played for Forest in the late fifties, early sixties. Middle um, name Bacon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, you really have researched him. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, then we had George Crisp as a winger just after the war. David Curry, of course. Um, Should have played with Brian Rice, really, shouldn't he, David? Yeah, Curry? ideally. I don't know. Colin Foster's is that stretching it a bit? Foster's. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Joe Lolly, obviously. Yeah. There were three Pikes. I don't know. Do you eat pike? I suppose you do, don't you? Uh, three uh, Arthur, Horace, and Harry, all brothers, played in the same team in the eighteen nineties. And uh, Arthur was a professional cricketer. Also played for for Notts for uh, Notts cricket team. I see you've also mentioned Mola Wagway beef. Yeah, um, uh, sort of Stuart's inquiry on that one. It's it's not it's it's a bit of a bit of a tenuous one, but um, you know, I don't know. I'll leave the listeners to decide whether that's allowed or not. He's one of those players, and there are like hundreds of them from the last 10 years. You go, huh? Who's he? Did he play for Forest? And yeah, 
Turns out he did. Um, we're going to turn that into a feature in coming weeks, by the way. So stay tuned for that. Uh, normally, joining Nick and I every week will be the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. However, Paul's failed a late fitness test this morning. So it's just us two dealing with the serious issues, uh, such as who had the funnier name, Eugene Daddy or Eugen Bob? Eugen Bob, definitely. Eugen yeah. Bob. Yeah. It's particularly, I seem to remember that when he first got into the team, it was sort of people were saying his name was sort of Eugene or Eugen or something like that. And then it was kind of made very clear that his name was actually Eugen. And uh, that really, that it's, it's a pleasant sort of collection of syllables, Eugen Bop. Um, <laughs> Eugen Bop. As I get to know you, I thought it'd be good if we, we find out a bit more about our relationship with the two-time European champions. Nick, you and I are around the same age. I'm guessing your first game was, was probably around the same kind of era as mine. Yeah, my first game was in 1989, I think. It was a 1-0 um, defeat to uh, Wimbledon. I was given, before the game, little seven-year-old me uh, was given the choice between... No, it was six-year-old me, so I can't remember. Anyway... Small Nick was given the choice between going to the circus or going to uh, the forest game, and you can you know, you know the punchlines just write themselves really down. <laughs> Do you remember who got the goal for Wimbledon? I bet I it was Carl it, Lieburn. Well, you would think. I think it was actually Vinnie Jones. I don't know if I am. Um, well, the thing is, my memory of this game is is a little bit iffy because I, for years and years and years, I I would I had this kind of very strong, quite visceral memory of being completely entranced by this kind of huge thighed blonde left back charging up and down the 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 flank just in front of us, and you know from that moment. Until now, really, Stuart Pearce was my favourite Forest player. I looked it up a few years ago. He didn't play. It was Brett Williams at left back. <laughs> so I wouldn't trust my memory of any of that game, really. Yeah, you see, my first game was in 1990. It was a 4-0 win against Man United. Uh, and part of me thinks I probably should have just called it a day then. Um, but my memories of that are, are walking up the what was then the executive stand, walking up the stairs and coming out and seeing the ground for the first time. And the more I think about that, the more I think that that is just an absolute cliche of somebody's first football match. And that is not what I remember about it at all. But yeah, 4-0 against Man United. Um, it was good. Right, later on, we're going to talk to Daniel Taylor about the state of Forest and more. Uh, but first, there's a new manager in situ at the City Ground. We'll talk Chris Hewton next. So, Athletic subscribers may well have read Paul Taylor's piece, What's It Like to Play for Chris Hewton? Features the likes of Michael Dawson, Marlon Howard and Chris Burke reflecting on their experiences of working with the new Forest boss. Uh, Nick, I really enjoyed uh, the anecdote ab about Forest in the Youth Cup and Chris Hewton's involvement in a full-time team talk, if you like, shortly after after the Young Reds had been knocked out. And, and that kind of tells you a lot about the man, I think. Yeah, it's one of those things that sort of confirms everything that you sort of suspect about Chris Hewton, that he is just a very nice man. I mean, I know the thing that everyone says is, yes, he's a nice man, but he's got a, you know, inner steel, which allows him to be a, you know, a successful manager. But there's absolutely no need for anyone to, to do that unless they have, they are of kind of pure of heart and good of intention. They, it, it, you know, it is worth reiterating that not only was Chris Hewton not the man, not manager of either of the teams involved in that game. He was he was the Norwich senior team manager, but this was the um, Nor Norwich youth team against Forest's youth team. There was there was no kind of requirement or no really expectation for him to go into the dressing room of the team that his young players had sort of beaten quite cruelly on penalties and given them a little pep up. But he did. He absolutely didn't need to. And, you know, 
it's it's always nice when your kind of sort of positive impressions of someone turn out to be correct. That chimes with a, a story that Chris Hutton told BBC Radio Nottingham's Colin Frey about after I think it was after the the FA Cup semi final when Forest beat West Ham and and Hutton being part of that side and and Clough coming in and consoling him in the tunnel afterwards and saying look you played well etc and so on. So there's um, there's a nice bit of synergy there. What, what in terms of of Hutton and, and this season four points from two games so far. We know that whenever he's had a full season in the Championship he's never finished below fourth what, what do you think is a realistic target for for him this season are we still looking at playoffs or are we just saying that that's gone now after the start no I mean I think it's it's pretty realistic obviously we you know we know that this season is going to be more chaotic than most for you know the reasons that have been talked about uh, you know at length before and the, the reasons that are particularly obvious so you know having a ropey first four games and Obviously, ropey is a very generous description of the certainly the first two or three games. It, I, I don't think it it matters enormously. While there, the the, the you know you, you could quibble with the timing of the sacking uh, of Lamucci in terms of you know probably realistically probably should have done been done at the end of last season if they were going to do it at all. Um, but they they did do it early enough this season for. You know, Hutton to be given plenty of time. Forty-two games is plenty of time to kind of um, creep up on the people that are or the, the teams that are currently leading the championship. So, you know, uh, maybe I'm just being wildly uh, over optimistic, but I think playoffs is certainly realistic. He seems like a really diligent and kind of studious guy. So, so even though he hasn't managed in the championship for a couple of seasons, you suspect that there's not going to be much about the division that, that takes him by surprise. What then are the biggest challenges facing him? I guess the obvious one is the extremely bloated squad that he's got to try and manage. Yeah, and I thought it was quite interesting that he named an unchanged team for the Rotherham game after beating Blackburn. Now, you know, obviously, you know, you don't change a winning team, yada, 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 cliche, cliche, cliche. But, um, this having you know having, we have just said that it's a chaotic season it's a very sort of crammed in fixture list even by the championship standards you might have thought that in those kind of circumstances a manager might rotate one or two players but it seemed um it, it, it kind of had the feeling that he did quite deliberately named them change team to sort of mitigate against some of the chaos and some of the concerns about having a kind of overly bloated squad that he is here, Chris Hutton, the great stabiliser, and he is stabilising. You know, he is bringing a sense of calm to an otherwise entirely chaotic football club. So I think that that's going to be kind of one of his key things that kind of recommends him to this job is that he is an intrinsically calm and reassuring presence in uh, a football club that is not very calm and reassuring. And and as I say, big squad. Uh, one player Hutton doesn't yet know if he'll be able to call upon it is Kamil Grzycki. The Athletics West Brom correspondent Steve Maidley gave an update on the situation on Thursday morning. Uh, he tweeted, Understand Forest have lawyers trying to convince the EFL to rubber stamp the Grzycki loan. Form submitted 21 seconds late, but Forest hope because it was still 1700 and not 1701, they'll get the OK. Seems they're banking on the vagueness of the rules. Uh, this is almost laughable, isn't it? I mean, A, we don't really need another player, but but B, to not get the paperwork done in time seems seems quite typically Forest. Yeah, Kamel Guzicki shrouding as footballer. You know, he's he's not been named in kind of either West Brom or Forest squad 
for obvious reasons, but he could still yet be added to either. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's it, it is obviously uh, incredibly indicative of of how Forest seem to operate, even with this kind of extended transfer deadline. They had an extra two weeks after the or whatever it was after the initial deadline, and was still waiting till the very last minute to um, to kind of get it over the line. And I am kind of acutely aware of the irony of a journalist having a go at someone else for doing things at the very last minute but still <laughs> um they had a lot of time to get this transfer done and I know there are you know there will have been um uh, other other factors involved but you can it, obviously reminiscent of um remember Adrian Silver who uh yeah, Leicester... and he he didn't get it approved did he even though that was again like a minute after the deadline uh, well, it was fourteen seconds, so it was even. It was, it was even less late than Grzycki. So you know, that extra seven seconds could really um, could really kick Forrest in the pants. There, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world if Forrest don't get another signing. But uh, I'm sure that Chris Eaton would like somebody with the championship experience of Grzycki to call upon. So Hutton's had two games in charge thus far: the win at Blackburn and then a draw at home to Rotherham. Nick, the, the consensus seems to be that it's not that different from the style of football that, that Sabri Lamushi played, maybe with just a little more emphasis on an attack. Is that something you've noticed so far? Yeah, definitely. I think that certainly more positivity. I know that um, statistics can be misleading, that they don't tell the whole story, etc., etc. But Forrest had 20 shots against Rotherham, which obviously you can sort of read either way, that 20 shots and only one goal that kind of snuck through a couple of looked like it snuck through a couple of people's legs is not necessarily that encouraging but for us are creating chances and with the kind of variety of attacking options that Forrest now have with or without Kamal Grzycki then you know it, that that's more encouraging certainly than the first couple of games of the season I think they, they only had six shots against QPR which you know, it all none of it tells the whole story, but um, you know, it at least suggests that there is a little bit more emphasis on attack, uh, a little bit more positivity, um, a little, a little less emphasis on um, counter-attacking and kind of absorbing pressure and then relying on um, hitting people on the break. So early signs, I would say, quite encouraging. What about in terms of personnel? You mentioned it was an unchanged team from from Blackburn to to Rotherham. Think about people like Harry Arter and and Lyle Taylor who came off the bench. I'm wondering if maybe as time goes on that they'll be able to to cement a place in the first team. Like Taylor, I don't know. Is he is he competing with Luke Freeman? Is he is he going to be competing with Lewis Graben and, and Arter? I guess Jack Colback's the one who who he might come in for. The, the, I suppose one of the interesting things about those two players is they're competing with. Um, Two of the players that are currently in the um, kind of in the scope of um, the ever angry Forest Twitter loons, who um, you know, choose choose the kind of. I, I mean, this happens with every club, obviously, but they, they, there seems to be players that um, a certain section of the supporter choose are no good anymore. And uh, Lewis Graben, after not having scored in the first few games of this season, obviously missing a a, um, a, a huge chance um, against Rotherham, open goal, really. Um, then, you know, he, he has been declared no good and Lyle Taylor should definitely get in. The fact that he scored 57 goals in the last three seasons in the Championship is sort of, you know, brushed under the carpet. But, um, and then uh, Harry Arter, perhaps 
competing with Jack Colbert, but also competing with Ryan Yates, who um, Paul Taylor pointed out this week that he's now been kind of regularly picked by, I think, three forest managers, maybe four forest managers uh, in a row. Um, So it does suggest that there is something about him, despite what the kind of spittle-flecked opinion makers on the internet uh, might say. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Colback's not going to be the player that he was in his first spell at Forest, certainly for a while, is he? He didn't kick a ball competitively last season, so it's going to take him at least a couple of months to get up to speed, you'd think. Yeah, and it's, there's also a sort of... I don't know whether it's just because they're two kind of stocky little ginger lads, but there is a sort of... And they play vaguely the same position. There seems to be a sort of sense that he replaced Ben Ben Watson. When they're not kind of... They're not quite the same player. They're, he's a little bit more dynamic and he doesn't sort of sit as much as uh, as Watson did. So I think that that's another thing that Colback will have to sort of... Um, compete against the sort of expectation that he perhaps is a player that plays in a loosely similar role to Ben Watson, but he's not a sort of direct replacement. Well, we'll see if uh, Chris Eaton makes it three unchanged lineups in a row when Forest take on Derby on Friday. We'll look ahead to that game later. Next, though, we'll speak with the Athletics senior writer. Now, as well as Nick and Paul, there's another Forest fan on the Athletics staff. Earlier, Nick and I caught up with Daniel Taylor to discuss his love for Forest and his current relationship with the club. Well, Daniel Taylor joins us now, I'm delighted to say. Um, Daniel, thanks for being with us. As this is the first show, we, we're just learning a bit about everybody's forest background. So, so tell us you know, how you came to support the world's greatest football team, first memories, first game, that kind of thing. Um, with terrible timing, basically. My first game was 1981, so I... Um, I was two years too late, basically, and then. Um, but that said, I still, um, I still think I was, you know, hugely lucky to have you know all those years of Brian Clough and you know the sort of second great team, not as not as great as the first team, but you know I can remember six Wembley trips in four seasons and finishing third, and basically my my kind of childhood football years were sort of you know going to every game thinking we'd win and you know basically not having any fear whatsoever. Any teams that really worried me were Wimbledon bizarrely because we just couldn't sort of handle Wimbledon and we we kind of knew deep down that Liverpool were a bit better than us but um but there's no you know we used to just play Man United and it's kind of expect to win really and um as I say you know kind of annual trips to Wembley um you know then obviously had all the Frank Clark years which I sometimes think it's a shame that they get forgotten about really because I think that was as exciting a, a team as I've ever seen really at Forest that sort of Collingmore team and you know, I was old enough then to go into Europe and sort of follow them, you know, around Europe. And uh, so they were, they were sort of great memories. But essentially, I was two years, well, I was one year too late to miss to, to see the European Cup days. Yeah, for Nick and I, it was it was the Frank Clark team, I think, that really was, was the thing that got us into it. 
I mean, I have to say one of the one of the things that I feel sorry for for what, what age range would it be like? Any Forest fan under the age of say kind of thirty five, thirty, just just I mean, they've just had you know. I'm always amazed about the kind of loyalty of the fans when you think of what they've, what they've actually had to see, and you know, just basically, I, I will always feel like kind of I've been spoiled, you know, kind of my childhood and sort of then and then sort of in my um, you know, teens and early twenties. That, that Frank, you know, that Frank Clark team was amazing. Basically, you know, Colin Moore was the best, most exciting, devastating player I've ever seen in English football. And people look at me and went mad when I say that. If you'd seen him every game, it was literally Mark Crossley get the ball, kick it to Colin Moore, and just let Colin Moore win the game. Basically, he he was incredible. And that was definitely the best period of his career as well. Um, if we spin it on to, to 2020, yeah, not quite as glorious. Two games in now. What, what are your early impressions of, of Chris Hewton's Forest? Um, well, I watched last night's game and actually, to be fair, it was, it was. Um, I mean, basically, I can't remember. I think the commentator said on, uh, I was watching it on the red button on Sky and the commentator said, I think after about 85 minutes, we'd had 17 shots. And, you know, I can't remember, I can't remember us having that amount of, I suppose, penetration up until putting the ball on the net for a long time because that's been one of the problems, hasn't it? Basically just quite a, a sort of a sterile build-up, basically. And I think that, you know, it, teams worked us out a little bit, really, with, with with Sabri in charge. And so last night, it was kind of a bit of a mix, really, of we, that we could have won that game 4-1, but that essentially we didn't. So it was... Um, it was... I suppose there were some encouraging signs there, but it was... Um, it wasn't a great result, was it? You know, you could see Rotherham probably finishing in the bottom three or four. And, um, you know, so that ultimately was a disappointing result. I didn't see the Blackburn game. Um, I think we did okay in what sounded like a pretty pretty bleak game. And obviously we got a bit of luck that we haven't really had it over time. We didn't get any luck last night, did we? So, um, but I don't know. It's a little, little bit early to, to say, really. I mean, it's, it's complicated for Chris Hughes. You know, we can only, we've got enough players to field three teams, haven't we? So he's gone for the same team. Uh, the same eleven, and um, it can't be very easy being a manager there at the moment when you when you've got say eleven players to pick, and that leaves what, what around twenty or so that sort of that are sort of just milling about, sort of feeling feeling not not as involved as they'd like to be. Forrest obviously um, pulled the same trick as when uh, Lamucci was appointed um, by announcing the new manager very quickly afterwards. Do you know if there was anyone else in the frame other than Hewton? Um, they had a short list, but they spoke to Chris Hewton on the Wednesday um, um, before. So what? So it was kind of. So I think that was six days before before the announcement. So, so I think I think he was all. They had a lot of people applying for it. Like Forrest is is mildly encouraging. This is that Forrest still is a draw for managers. You know that any manager out there knows if you can get Forrest up into the Premier League, you are going to be revered. It's. Uh, you know, I would say this, I'm biased, but it is a great club in the middle of the country, brilliant setting, um, good, really good support base. Um, you know, the history, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but, you know, they, they, you know, it is a famous football club. So there were, you know, it'd be unfair for me to sort of name them, but there were people in jobs coming in for the job, if you know what I mean, who saw it as an upgrade. And, the, and there were all the kind of out-of-work managers you can imagine who, who were sort of keen on it, which is which is you know a good sign. But no, no football club would just basically just all have you know just go for one manager and and not contemplate the fact that that manager might not um, might not fancy it ultimately. But Chris Hewton was always the um, sort of you know high in the thinking. 
You mentioned there all the positives about Forest, and most of them are historical or geographical. What, what kind of state do you think that the, the club are in off the pitch at the moment? Because it, it feels like for the first time the ownership and, and the hierarchy are actually coming under some scrutiny. I suppose there's two ways of looking at it, aren't there? Isn't there? There's, it's always better than the last um, owner, who, which was, but that's a very low bar to set, isn't it? <laughs> so there's a lot of um, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that I always think the the best thing they did immediately was kind of um, slash the ticket prices, which obviously kind of just changed the whole sort of mood around the club of being. You know, I mean, we're getting appalling crowds with with Fawaz and all of a sudden basically there's a massive wave of optimism but I think a lot of the questions are well I know a lot of the you know I've, I've spoken to people at Forest on a near daily basis for for three years until recently and and some of the stuff that's happened there that they've somehow managed to to keep in house is is pretty ludicrous and um, quite shocking really but just on a general sense I think there are there are questions to be asked I mean I can remember for example in 2017 being in a meeting at Forest, um, the Supporters Trust were also there, and just being told things that, as a Forest fan, that were hugely exciting. You know, we we were told that, well, first of all, we were told that Forest would act with the um, with the class and dignity of old school Arsenal, and would always adhere to you know those fine principles of of you know a, a very dignified football club. And basically, if you look back now at um, you know, they they brought in Nick Randall as the um, as the chairman. You know, Nick Randall, respectable guy, very very good appointment, and also you could say kind of very useful appointment, really, because obviously Marinakis is. Um, you know, you just have to Google Marinakis to, to see the allegations that have been made against him. He was when he was taking over the football club to have a respectable QC as the sort of front of house. You know, was a perfect appointment basically. When you look back at that open letter which caused so much kind of encouragement at the time, there's a long list of things that never came true and um, a long list of promises. And as I say, when I think back to that meeting in 2017 and this, these, you know, the, you know the, these, um, these great plans for a new training ground in home Pierpont and, you know, we're going to have the best academy set up anyway. We're playing catch up massively. We, we are so fortunate about Gary Brazil and his staff there that, because the policy actually is that basically we bring through, we sell a player every year to make up for the huge financial losses that they, that their poor recruitment, poor judgment and haphazard sort of thinking and the sacking culture, the the bomb squad culture, this sort of terrible culture that basically is, is burning so many people and leaving so many footballers, leaving Nottingham Forest thinking what an awful place that is, what a horrible employer they are. That is also costing the club millions upon millions of pounds. You know, like um, we've got you know we've got players who basically in the bomb squad on twenty grand a week. You know, while at the same time laying off people left, right, and centre. You know, um, there's a lot of conflicting kind of emotions because basically there are good things they're doing. I know the ambitions there. It's whether the thinking and is there, whether the know-how is there, and. When I'm repeatedly told by people in the club that um, the atmosphere is just terrible, uh, I don't necessarily mean the dressing room, but just like the kind of um, behind the scenes, it's just it's depressing to hear it. That basically, the, you know, that it's a hard-faced way they run that football club, and it's it's unpleasant a lot of the time. You know, I think Christian's a great appointment. I hope dearly that he's allowed to um, 
to do his job um, he doesn't encounter the same you know crap basically that Karanka in particular and Sabri towards the end because in the end the players work it out the players know in the end that Sabri's a puppet to use a description the players know that Karanka is a dead man walking and that basically you know that is a purely a personal thing basically his relationship broke down with one person at the, at the club and then basically Karanka was essentially miserable in the job um you know just just stuff that you know eventually um you know, eventually I'd like, if I ever find the time and uh, I'm quite busy with, with other football clubs, <laughs> but eventually I'd quite like to uh, put it all down in writing about some of the stuff that's happened there. Because it's just a bit, it's just a bit demoralising when there's so much good that's happening. You know, I know they want to change the attitude and the self-esteem of Nottingham, but I'm not sure that they're, the way they go about it is is necessarily conducive to, to a successful football team. So I think there are a lot of legitimate questions and I don't necessarily think that stockpiling the club with 30-odd players, some of whom we all know are probably going to disappear very quickly, some of whom the manager, the last manager didn't want. Um, you know, Aitor Karanka, <laughs> Karanka being told which players he should be picking, you know, that, that is crap, basically, you know, for, for a football team that basically is meant to be adhering to the policies of old school Arsenal. And basically my message is that I, I just desperately hope that they've learned a lesson. They, 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 they might realise that, that that doing doing what they do in Greece doesn't necessarily translate to success in England and basically grinds people down. And there's a lot of people in football like a lot of other football clubs know are looking at Forest and just sort of not not really liking what they see. So, you know, it'd be nice to um it'd be nice to think Chris Hewton can uh, can basically get it right. And I think he's got a good chance. I mean what happened in January, you know, the Modest, basically Sabri got sacked. Fair enough, because the results were terrible. Um, um what about Modesto? How, how did Modesto keep his job? How, how did how did the chief executive, who's been responsible for ninety percent of of the stuff that's happened, how how is he not under pressure? When when basically, you know, it's chief executive who who wanted the lad from Huddersfield. It's not it wasn't Sabu Lamushi. Um So it's 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 you know it's it's really bizarre. There's good, there's bad, but ultimately, I kind of feel like um, that after you know. 2017 they came and I think it's time that there are some legitimate questions to be asked um, all these promises in 2017 certainly never happened the open letter certainly never happened and you just sort of see the scattergun approach and you kind of think what well, what is the strategy there I just hope you know you hope that Chris Hewton you hope that Gary Brazil Gary Brazil's got this got this allegedly new role that they put out I mean that's great PR in in reality it was commonly known that Gary Brazil actually took that role months ago. Um, Gary Brazil is superb. I've got I've got nothing but brilliant praise to say for him because without him, you dread to think where this football club would be because the amount of money that he's made, you know, it, it, he's been promoted. To me, he should be promoted even higher. He should be, be like the kind of main director of football, sporting director. As it is, we've got we've got people doing that job who were just bad at doing that job. You know, um, it's just been proven they're bad at it. We just, you know, look, how many players is it since 2000? It's, it's over 70 players. There's no other football club in probably on the planet 
who 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 um who's been that scattergun. Feels like that was quite cathartic for you, didn't he? Well, I just it's my football club, isn't it? So it's just um, you know I I know I know the mood there. As I say, I I do speak with. Please don't. I hope this doesn't sound conceited, but I, I do speak with knowledge, having having um, a daily daily interaction for over three years, and it's kind of reached a point where I think, do I really want to stay silent and just pretend that I don't have questions, just because you know, just for the sake of keeping everyone sweet? Is that you know, is that journalism? You know, I'm not you know, I'm not a cheerleader. I I. Um, if a football club does something well, I will always, always say they do something well. If they if they do something good and bad, I'll say it's good and bad. And that's what I'm saying. Danny, thank you so much for that. Absolutely fascinating insight. And um, hopefully we'll get you on again before too long. Pleasure. Anytime. Daniel Taylor there. The only place to read his work is on The Athletic. Right now, he's got an interview with Stuart Pearce, which is must-read stuff. If you aren't a subscriber, you can read that article in full by taking advantage of a £1 per month introductory offer to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash forestpod now. Um, pretty strong stuff there from, from Danny on the ownership, Nick. And, and it feels like the, the spotlight's finally being shone on them in, in terms of the way that the club is run. Do you think that that Mr. Marinakis and co will be at all bothered about any negative publicity? <laughs> I mean, they have some you know, There are people at the club who have shown that that um, that they don't necessarily take particularly well to uh, or take particularly kindly to criticism or negative publicity. I mean, it kind of it. What we heard from Danny just there is that. It sort of confirms rumours and suspicions that you've sort of heard from the club uh, and from people who have worked at the club um, in over the last few years. And as um, as as I think he mentioned there, I think they have sort of largely escaped a lot of criticism because that because of the comparison to the previous owners. Um, the current the, the people currently running the club are doing so in a sort of you know chaotic and um in in a manner that doesn't suggest there is a sort of huge through line in thinking or forward planning or some great you know some great wider scheme to to bring success to forest but at least they're more organized and more competent than the last lot the problem is that that uh, you know after a number of seasons of um, player churn and sacking managers and calamitous decisions that everyone can uh, see and everyone knows about it that that sort of um, that comparison will inevitably fade anyway and then when you hear about um, you know terrible atmosphere inside the club um, you hear about a staff churn that um, you know isn't that is kind of staff churn in terms of behind the scenes people, which is kind of comparable to the churn in the playing squad, which is kind of you know is pretty remarkable and gives you a, a kind of good idea of what it is like behind the scenes at Forest. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 difficult to work out what's going to happen next with Forest, and of course these problems will often only 
be paid attention to by maybe the wider fan base when results on the pitch aren't very good. Last season, broadly speaking, until the unfortunate events of the summer that we don't like to talk about, any concerns about how the club was being run were sort of pushed aside a little bit because everyone's happy, the team was winning. Now, or, you know, uh, uh, the results at the end of last season and the results at the start of this season haven't been um, haven't been as good, well, have been broadly awful. Um, so perhaps the more scrutiny will, will go onto the ownership um, if the team doesn't keep doesn't start winning on the pitch. Absolutely. Um, time will tell. In terms of winning on the pitch, let's have a look then at the game coming up on Friday. It might already have taken place by the time that you're hearing this listener. Um, if you're wondering why you've had a, a knot in your stomach all week, it's because Forrest are playing Derby on Friday night. Uh, it's always something that, that you build up to throughout the week. In my case, feeling worse and worse until kickoff and then feeling all right for a bit and then feeling worse and then feeling all right and then feeling much worse at the end quite often. Um, going into this one, Nick, though, they're in even worse form than us. You've seen them quite recently, haven't you? What did you make of, of Derby and the kind of shape they're in at the start of this season? Um, yeah, I mean, I saw Derby a couple of weeks ago against Luton. Um, and even that, even now, it seems that my kind of impressions of, of them from that game are outdated because at least at that time, they had some kind of semblance of, you know, some kind of strike force. But um, now they uh, are... Th- that day, Wayne Rooney and uh, Jack Marriott both started. Both of them will be out um, f- for... Firstly, for reasons of COVID shielding and secondly, for the not unreasonable um, cause that uh, Jack Marriott no longer plays with Derby. He's gone to Sheffield Wednesday, which seemed like a slightly odd move. Um, they also have... You know, Martin Waghorn isn't... Um, is is injured. Uh, I think they play two wingers up front um, in the week against Huddersfield. So the team that I saw was kind of pretty pedestrian in, in the first half, and then they sort of switched things up a little bit. Got a, their new Polish winger Kamil Juskowiak moved to the left hand side and looked more, much more um, threatening. He combined very well with Marriott, which made it, which to me anyway, made it an, an even more curious decision that they let Marriott go when they don't have many striking options. Um, so yeah, they look in, they're looking absolutely delightfully rotten for. Yeah, which obviously we know what that is going to mean as a consequence. Don't, don't, Matt. Matt, come on! I've just, I've tried to give a little bit of optimism and to G up that you know Derby are in a terrible state and don't oh, just you know let us have this moment. Okay, um, give me a favourite memory from from Forest v Derby in days of yore. Uh, well, I mean my my favourite football moment of all time, I think, is for for sort of various footballing and personal reasons, is um, Ben Osborne's goal a few years ago uh, at Derby. Um, other favourites, Stuart Pearce going through Ted McMinn back in, I think it was 1989. Uh, probably my favourite football foul of all time, that. Uh, Rob Earnshaw's goal away at, at Derby. Um, I think it was around 2011, late goal to win 1-0 there. Um, and uh, uh, on a sort of extremely petty level, uh, one of my favourite moments was in the 5-2 game um, when, uh, when Forrest... Uh, were four one up. Chris Commons, um, playing of course for Derby, scored a heavily deflected free kick, which made it four two to Forest. And he proceeded to really give it the big one to all the Forest fans that had been um, giving him what for throughout the game. And you know, pointed he 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 gave it the full treatment. Really, there was the, the, the pointing to the to his name on the back of the shirt. 
hands cupped behind his ears, as if to say, ah, now I have shown you uh, when I have merely made it 4-2 to the team that uh, I so cruelly snubbed a few months earlier. That man. Um, I always think it's worth revisiting Ben Osborne's tweet from from the day after he he scored that that winner in in 2015. Would like to wish my dad, at Bomber Aussie, a lifelong Derby fan, a happy birthday for yesterday. Hope you had a good and big man. That was basically Benny winning Twitter. Um, I'll chuck in Forest 3, Derby 0 from 2003. One of my favourite seasons, that when we got to the to the playoffs under under Paul Hart. Marlon Harewood with a brace and, and Darren Huckabee when we had that great front three of Huckabee, Harewood and, and David Johnson and uh, John Gregory being serenaded with chance of bye-bye. John Gregory was um, was very, very satisfying indeed. Uh, we will, of course, react to that game in next week's show, by which time Forrest will also have played Luton. Uh, nearly out of time for, for this week then, Nick. Where, where are you going to be watching the Derby game? Well, I think it, ideally in some kind of darkened room somewhere, but I may have to settle for my lounge. Um, just moved house, but um, made sure that the, everything is set up and in place for me to very nervously watch this game and um, then to be sort of lightly consoled afterwards. Clough the cat alongside you, presumably. Uh, he, he does. Yeah, he will. He, he he may watch. He's quite. He's he's a bit of a an unpredictable little cat. Um, is Clough because he doesn't really like staying still for the for um for very long. He will kind of he'll sit with you for for ten minutes and then he'll bugger off and do something more interesting. He also uh, is pretty galling, but he much prefers my partner to me. So. <laughs> Maybe if she comes and sits with us, then he will, he will come and sit with us as well. But you no, know, I can't rely on Clough, unfortunately. Um, you might like to know, listener, that, that Nick has a cat called Clough and I have a dog called Brian, which is either the most brilliant or the saddest thing that you've ever heard. Um, thanks for giving us a go this week. As we move on, we'll start to chuck in the odd feature. We'll hear from people in and around the club. In the meantime, if there's anything in particular that you'd like us to cover, uh, Nick, me and Paul are all on Twitter, so you can get in touch with us. Uh, via that medium if you would like also if you can tell other forest fans about us that would be lovely if you're listening on itunes give us a five star rating if you think we're worth it it's a great way to let other supporters know that we are here but until next time from nick from me and from producer adonis thank you for lending us your ears for this very first episode of two stars we'll speak to you again same time next week